Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the USL Show. I am Pony and will be your host for today. And before everyone from Cincinnati immediately turns this podcast off, now that they know I'm hosting, I'd like to announce who I'm joined by. Initially, we have Ken from Cincy Soccer Talk. Hey, Pony. How you, how you doing? Nice to be on the show. Uh, I, I can't wait to talk about uh, our little predictions here. So thanks for having me on. Yes, and thank you for showing up. And also, as we will, of course, be talking numbers today, we also have Ryan. Hello, it's great to be here uh, talking numbers and our different prediction methodologies. And right now, as it sits, we're a little bit more than a month out at the end of yet another USL season. It seems like it just started yesterday, but as expanded schedule, we're still getting close to be done with it. And what that means is, of course, playoffs. We're talking about playoffs, not practice at this point. So we have all our own methods of predicting what's going to happen in playoffs. Both Ryan, Ken, and myself have devised formulas and have been using it to predict both not only who will make the playoffs, but the seeds. And today we're going to talk about all three systems, go over a few pros and cons that we see with them, and say who we actually think is going to make playoffs and also what the order of seeds are going to be. To start off, we will actually kick it over to our guest of Ken, since he is at the top of the show notes Ryan has provided us. And we'll let him talk a bit about his methods and what the methods say or say will happen right about now. Yeah, um, the, well, the method I use, I, I called it XG. It's probably not the most accurate term. In fact, it's not. It's called a predictive goal method methodology. Uh, uh, I was I was just uh, on the on Twitter one day and I saw a guy from Mongols actually who follows Mongols post uh, uh, what he predicted the results were and I found out this was a, actually a, a gambling sites uh, how the ga- uh, casinos kind of put odds out for predicting games and uh, I was digging into it and I found out that each each game it predicted the estimated goals that each team would score and. Um, I thought this was pretty cool, so uh, I, I just start plugging away on it, and I put in the numbers. I basically would put in the entire schedule for the USL and uh, use these uh, numbers that produce the scores, and it basically uses um, the goals for and the goals against by a team, and it predicts your the strength of your offense and the strength of your defense uh, compared to league averages. So if a uh, if you average four goals a game, I know that's ridiculous, but and the league's average is two, you would get a two hundred percent score basically, and it would look at the opposing team's defense and say if uh, they have a terrible defense and they give up two goals a game and they're only supposed to give up one goal. They got a 200%. So it's kind of this percentage game. Um, and I took it one step further and I broke the entire league out uh, by home and away form. So that's, and I know we're going to get into it, but that's one of my, one of the strengths of this is actually uh, it breaks out the, uh, the forms of the team. So based on that methodology, I could predict each individual game and I have a huge Excel spreadsheet that after every game's played, it recalculates the future games. And based on the future games, I know the score. I say, no, I predict the score and predict the results. So uh, that's the basis of my calculation is home offense, away offense, home defense, away defense. And you, use these numbers and it calculates that. Now I have another formula also that kind of mimics yours. You, you gave me an idea and I won't go into that right now, but uh, that comes up with a slightly different result and has a different methodology behind it. But I don't want to go into my predictions as far as who I see coming in first through that. I'd maybe we all just talk about our methodologies or do you want me to tell you who I see in the results? Um, I think we actually could quickly run down what our methodologies are and then I'll compare results to see how different they are. 
as I have my cheat sheet of who does what in front of me, it's actually surprisingly similar across the board, which is good for all of us. But I think in a background to all of ours, the strengths and weaknesses, like you said, the one thing I'm kind of interested in yours is how it handles outliers, since those are big problems on my methodology, where the really good and really bad teams really throw a wrench into my equations. So do the teams that allow far more or concede or score far more than the average actually mess with your formulas too much? They, they do. They do mess with it. That's one of my another weaknesses. Uh, uh, and I won't say it's an outlier, actually, because um, it's I would say a result, a specific result can can cause chaos. A six goal game, which is very, very rare, uh, can cause a very big discrepancy, uh, both pro and con. Pro for the team that scored a six goals and con for the team that uh, conceded six. Um, not that those games don't happen, but for the teams that it happens to, they have a drastic, it has a drastic change. And, uh, uh, like Louisville, uh, they, they conceded, uh, four goals or whatever it was to Toronto, uh, an unexpected result, uh, I would say. And they dropped significantly in, in my rankings uh, as far as points go, I should say. So, uh, it, it has a pretty powerful effect. So that's, I don't know if that's a, a, a weakness or uh, a, a true to form result per se that over the time, over the length of the season, you're going to have a good game. You're going to have a bad game. So. Right. I think a lot of it is based on sample size. I know with home and away, you suddenly drop from having a 30 odd game season to only maybe a dozen games in each category, which at that rate, it gets very, very swingy, especially with one or two extreme results could really mess with you. I think LA Galaxy is a great example. The Elf Galaxy 2 Los Dos is a great example of a team that has a lot of extremely high-scoring games and a lot of actually extremely low-scoring games early on. They're, I think, a pain in the models that actually use score heavily. But... There are also the benefits of using score because you learn who's going to try to win by outscoring their opponents like New York and who's going to try to win by just saying we'll beat you 1-0 like Pittsburgh. Exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I have I have just for LA Galaxy, you pulled them up. I have them as the seventh best offense overall for the season, but their home offense, they're third, but their away offense, they're 16th. So, uh, I mean... Uh, that's the benefit of, I guess, this model is it, it takes both those three and 16 and uses those. And, and, and it, their defense is relatively close to being the same, either home or away, 28th and 26th. So uh, out of the 33 teams. So uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. It, 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 it helps differentiate teams, I guess. Right. Or I was curious with um, as far as the home and away uh, differences go. Would you say is there the one team that has like wildly different kind of like like what would be like the widest range of difference in uh, ratings compared to their home form to their road form? Can uh, I make two guesses? Actually, I could say on offense, it's New York Red Bulls probably yeah. that they're first at home and thirteenth on the road, and they're number one overall technically. So I mean, it's just they're they're. Uh, you know, head and shoulders above everybody at home from from their home offense. So you don't want to play them there. So uh, are they really that much about the Monarchs? Just uh, out of curiosity, we're using these records up until the end of the last week. So the Monarchs San Antonio game from Monday night is not included. Yeah, I have. I don't have. Uh, I may have that one included on this. Okay. this Either way, yeah, because I know that was the first Monarchs home loss this season. Yeah, I have them third overall at home on offense and 16th uh, on offense away. But they sway bigger. I mean, they sway. The, the other aspect is they are fifth on at home in defense and 18th away on defense. So uh, where New York doesn't swing as, as much, they're 27th and 25th. And New York only has uh, three losses at home this year. Or one against uh, Ottawa, another against uh, Cincinnati, and their most recent coming in a 6-4 loss to um, Louisville 
which is still impressive that they got four goals in that one Louisville just managed to outscore them with uh, New York Red Bull two only having uh, two more home matches left one on September 13th against Toronto and then the last one of the season against uh, Pittsburgh on final day at the 14th so oh, they definitely have a much uh, larger sample size to pull from yeah it's it's pretty interesting to see how big of a swing some of these teams are and that makes our jobs difficult at times when dealing with numbers because of outliers and outliers are never fun okay so can you have anything else do you want to jump into our second setup uh, you mean uh, the the second the, the second methodology that i use sure oh yeah um the other aspect of that the same methodology that predicts so it predicts a, a an end goal result. So, like I say, 1.4 goals for for I think it was 1.4 for FCC this last game to 0.96 was the predicted score. Uh, but there's a model that's called the Poisson distribution, and it actually and and you'll see this around the world. It'll predict the actual percentages per per. Uh, uh, Results so zero zero draw would have nine percent and you know three two FCC would have seven percent. So you, uh, I was talking to you one day on on Twitter and uh, I just got this idea of taking uh, using that whole chart and saying, well, uh, based on this, I could predict the likely points they would get in in this game using the home and away form, and I would take the percentages for. Uh, FCC and said that they would win and, and multiply that by three. So I think this last game they had 0. 0.46. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was 0. 0.46 or something like that. And you want to multiply by three and it's 1.2. And then you add the, the draws, which is just a one point a piece uh, percentages to it. And I think they had like a 1.57. Uh, I'm going down here. 1.67, I guess it was. It was their likelihood of getting points at home where Pittsburgh was going to get 1.05. So using that same methodology, I look at that game and I say, oh, FCC is going to get 1.6 points and Pittsburgh's going to get 1.05. It'll never add up to three. It'll never be less than two. That's just the way the way it is. Uh, you'd have to have a 100% chance of winning and that'll never happen. Or So I do this exact same model, take those points, go to the, the remaining schedule, and put the results in, and I add those all up and calculate a, uh, a final point total for the team. So predicting the number of points they'll end the year at. So it's similar to what I, I it has a similar result, but there's some variances and uh, some granularity to this one that I like actually better. So um, I keep the other one because that's what I started doing my little rankings out on Twitter with. and. But this year, this this methodology, I think, is the way I will go next year because uh, it's a much more granular and I think a truer result uh, that I I feel it, it delivers. So, yeah, and it's interesting. Oh, that's I pulled up my prediction for that game, and it's almost the exact same. I had Cincinnati getting 0.02 points more, and Pittsburgh having 0.02 less. So we actually our formulas are going to add up quite a bit here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like I said, I, I can't remember what yours was, but you were talking about it, and this idea came to me because this is the the results I was playing with, and I said, well, let me try this, and it, it, it produced something different, and I thought that was, I'm a numbers guy, and I said, let me go to town on this. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of the poison distribution. I actually used it during a, a high school a senior project paper or when I was doing uh, stats and soccer, but what I always or what I like from it that uh, you do, Ken, is how it breaks down into the scoreline. I'm looking at it right now that it had the 1-0 scoreline for FC Cincinnati at 13% as the most likely scoreline. And and it definitely, like you said, gives a more truer feel to how the teams will perform. It definitely seems a lot more in line because the win percentages and with the draw and uh, Pittsburgh win definitely seems in line to what ELO ratings publish as well. Yeah. So like you pointed out, that 1-0 result for FCC being 13%, that's exactly what the result would have been in my 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 first uh, methodology. I take the most likely result, and that's that's the that's the score I plug in. So that's my 
method one where method two takes all these percentages and says, this is probably a more fair uh, prediction model because it, 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 that's that's a weakness of the other one is 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 uh, uh, it's it's a hard line. It's you're either winning or lose. I mean, winning, losing, or draw. You know, draw. But there's not a spread of numbers across like 1.6 points to 1.05 or whatever. So uh, this gives a much more granular percentage for future predictions. So. I'd say your first prediction seems to just be a forced round down and that's your final score. Have you ever thought of trying to do a round up or round down based on like 0.25 points? So anything above 0.75 goes up and below 0.25 goes down. I'm ahead of you. I have five different models out there actually that, <laughs> that, I, that I run with. I got uh, one that does gives 0.20 to both teams just because I was like, uh, if the score is going to be 1.8, ah, they're probably going to get two, you know, and it, it, it I thought it would separate because it would be like 1.8 to 1.4 and the one team that had 1.8 would get the two and the other one would stay at one. And I'd get, I'd get these variations that were a little bit different. So like I was saying, the other model has a lot more draws that, that come out of it. So I actually predict records using it and uh, teams were getting like 17, 18 draws. Uh, well, that's just because you can't, separate far enough from one another you can't get that granularity um but i did do one where it was 0.25 for the home team and the away team got 1.15 added to their score just to just to give some uh, uh variation but it, it it all really comes back to almost a, a center line of of this bottom this granular result i mean they're really all pretty close to one another no matter what i did yeah, and that's good when you could mess with it a bunch of different ways it always ends up close. That yeah. means you're probably doing something correct. Uh, um, the other, uh, and since we're talking about my model, one of the biggest weaknesses, and you might not see this or uh, uh, tell, it, it takes into consideration strength of schedule, actually. And I say it takes into consideration. It doesn't necessarily take that in. Teams that play weaker teams early on in the season that do well, they're going to have a lot of goals. They're going to give up fewer. But when they start to get into the meat and potatoes of their uh, of their schedule, uh, this prediction model might not have that uh, take that into consideration of the strength of the teams that they're actually coming up with. So it they could play they could play a ten year old team and beat them three hundred to nothing, and it's just going to like you said, it's going to create outliers. It's just one big giant outlier. And I bring that up because as I go along, I predict the strength of schedule right now. And believe it or not, Pittsburgh has the 32nd ranked schedule as of this point. And I think a lot of it is because I think they played Toronto three times and Atlanta twice already. So they've got all the bottom feeders already in their, in their schedule. I'm not saying they're not a good team. I'm just saying it does make them – have that strength and when they've come up against some good teams they've conceded some goals and uh, they're coming up there they're coming up to a very difficult end of their schedule so I, I like to see how they play out at the end of the season as well because uh, I think there's going to be some variation there correct uh, Toronto or Toronto has played Pittsburgh three times already they've played Atlanta once but it's interesting because their next uh, basically remainder of their schedule they have uh five opponents who currently occupy playoff spots including their next three hosting bethlehem louisville indy then you skip down to uh, cincinnati on the six and then finish with new york red bulls two at the end of the season yeah i think i mean they got a tough schedule so, yeah and but, uh, yeah go for it I was going to say that, that that's that's basically my results or you know my methodology. I, I'll wait till the end to go through who I have as my top four and the next four, and we'll, we'll compare. Well, since we've been talking about strength of schedule, that actually transitions very well into my methodology of predicting playoffs, which is essentially using strength of schedule and then projecting that out onto future opponents. Each team has a take the average basically points gained per game of each team and compare it to the average points gained 
by their opponents. So we get the, a ratio of strength and schedule. So any average team can know they expect to gain X amount of points against X average opponent. And then that gets projected out to every individual game from there on out. So if you play a team better than your current average opponent, you will gain less points per game on average. And vice versa, if you play a team who's worse than your average opponent, you're expected to gain more points per game. And I do this comparing each team to every single individual game. The biggest issue in this is the outliers again. I think that's a major problem for all of us. You take teams like Toronto, who basically every team is projected to get exactly three points per game against because they are so far below average that even the bad teams should do very well against them. They should be gaining more than two points. And if you get teams like Cincinnati, who's actually doing very well this season, and they're going to gain a lot of points throughout every game. Their hardest opponent, which is going to be basic. I mean, you're looking at their things. They're supposed to gain, even against coming up against Louisville here, my predictions say they should get 1.66 points. And if they fail to get that, they don't meet my prediction. So if they draw, given what I've had, that's actually a bad result for Louisville. Well, technically a win is almost a point and a half above what you'd expect, which is very good. It just is a bias of teams who aren't, who are too good or too bad really throw this off. We had a, a recent situation where Cincinnati beat Atlanta. Everyone knows they just killed them because Atlanta is not good. And it impacted the Cincinnati average opponent in the past so much that they actually lost projected points on the season because their past opponent now became so much worse that games against Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and all the other good teams were suddenly on the wrong side. They, I think they dropped about 0.2, 0.3 points on their season projection just because of a bad team. The other problem is that this doesn't take away, it doesn't take into account home and away because again, outliers I think would completely ruin this immediately because if you played Toronto at home, and not away, your home schedule is going to assume you've played no one good because Toronto is that far behind an average team. While your away schedule might assume, well, you haven't played, you've played such good teams, that's not going to work out either. I also had to adjust it somewhat to say it's physically impossible to gain more than three points per game. Because again, if we had the games like Cincinnati against Toronto right now, if I ignored the cap, you'd look and go, oh, Cincinnati's supposed to gain eight and a half points when they play Toronto this week, which is of course physically impossible and was originally resulting with inflated results until I actually got a handle of what was actually, what was really going wrong and how physically impossible things were appearing. But really this is, I think the biggest strength is for this is that I actually don't care about wins and losses. I care about expected points gained. I think Cincinnati right now, for example, they're supposed to gain about 15.8 points to finish the season. I don't care how that comes. That could be five wins, a draw, and the rest are losses. That could be three wins and all the rest draws. But that is their expected points gained. Results in this doesn't actually matter. It's just about what happens in the end. What also happens for this one, which is good, is it ignores the weird blowouts. It just concentrates on what the actuals or actual result was. If the game was seven to one, it's going to show up the same as if the game was 1-0. It's just win, loss, draw. Nothing else actually matters. It boils it down to the core concept and just assumes that your past play could theoretically be predicted onto future play. And for the most part, that proved true last season. I think about two months out, I called 15 of 16 playoff teams right. And I think the biggest miss was three seeds is a pretty crude method, but unless a team gets very hot or very cold near the end of the season, it seems accurate in the end. And that's what I actually care about is accuracy, not how pretty it looks. Yeah, my, my model uh, is obviously is very similar to that. And I, that was one of my future enhancements that I wrote down there is factor in like recent form, because um, like you said, a team that gets hot at the end of the year 
And I say this every year, the New York Red Bulls will always feel like they're going to be a strong team at the end of the year because they lock in a lineup mid mid August and they get those players start playing to get playing together consistently. And they're a different team come September than, than they are in June and July. So I, I, I was wondering if you have any like ideas of trying to factor in something of that effect. I, I mean, that's just something that I thought about when I was doing my model is, do I, should I take current form in any way, shape or form and utilize that as a percentage of calculating? Might be able to slightly weight it, but again, it's going to start messing with outliers more. If you've, your recent form involves playing all bad teams or all really good teams, that's not going to work as well. Maybe if you said something like the last five games get weighted 1.5 and the rest of the season's one, or maybe even not that extreme, or break down more, there's a 1.5, 1.25 in one group. But it would be one thing to play with. I'm just not sure how it's going to really work in the end because there's so many factors that go into it because mine doesn't even take into account home and away because, like I said, the, the the good and bad teams mess this up so badly. It really has – I'm scared to even start trying to use it until at least halfway through the season because at that point, even now playing a Toronto or, or Atlanta or Tulsa, it messes with your past results so bad. Yeah, I, I think that goes for all of our methodologies that we need with just going off a of sample size. We need to wait until like at least a month into the season before we start considering a bunch of it just because of outliers or you see teams that take long road trips to start their season because their stadium's not available. Or we have other sides like Penn who like bunch up all their home games until the end of the season like they have right now, which kind of distorts their play up to this point. Right. It's just, there's so many things to consider. I mean, even one thing I looked at for Cincinnati, they had Pittsburgh Louisville back to back. If they wanted that with a win and a draw, they actually failed to meet my expectations. They were supposed to gain about 4.2 points, 4.3 points against those two sides. So anything short of sweeping them hurts. And that's just because of the, how good Cincinnati is compared to the rest of the league right now in points gained per game. They're, they have, a, I think, an unrealistic expectation of having to win. Same with Toronto. I think the most games they actually, the most points they're expected to gain to finish the season, finish the season is 0 0.53. So any draw is better than their expected result to finish the year. That's obviously untrue. They're a better team than that. They should get at least one point. Yeah. Ryan, do you have? Yeah, you want to jump in? Let's talk your... about Elo. <laughs> Ryan, you're good. Sounds good. So I've been uh, since I jumped into covering the league in 2014. I've been really riding the basically Elo ratings train, and I'm really excited that uh, FIFA is now mitigating their or sorry, migrating their current rankings towards an Elo methodology. But this gives uh, each team a rating, and it takes into account for the matches being played and then it weights the match based on the magnitude of the fixture a k factor obviously a cup final will have a higher weight rate weighting than a regular season match and then basically with that you would take into account the final score of that match the goal difference between the two and it would then compute about a new rating if a team wins that we typically see an exchange of 46 rating points though it has gotten higher. For instance, when Toronto FC2 took down Louisville earlier this year, there was an exchange of 13 rating points, which is the highest of the Eastern Conference this season. And whereas if they draw, you basically see an exchange of just a point, though I have seen some draws exchange two. And I think one of the strengths of this is that it keeps teams on a relatively um, even scale. Well, I always uh, reset the ELO ratings at the start of a new season just because of how much roster turnover there is with teams and keeping it uh, kind of allowed on this 1100 average rating it allows us to at least compare season to season because I've gone back through since 2011 and have all the ELO ratings basically set so we can come back and see where current teams are and it can also be modified for any league play. I know, Evan, you and I, in uh, 2016, we changed the home field advantage from 100 points 
down to 50 points added to each rating. And that was allowed for an easy quick change that I was able to compute for the stuff or for the ELO ratings. Sorry, excuse me. Though this system is not without its limitations by kind of basing it all around um, by basing it all around uh, goal differential, it encourages teams to run up the score to a point, especially if the team is much worse, like you saw Louisville scoring three or getting a goal differential of three on the road against, or sorry, Toronto, a goal differential of three on the road. It definitely helps their rating out than if they had won that same match at home. But I would love to hear your guys' opinion. I feel like I was just rambling. Sorry, move cat, move cat, go. <laughs> so Ryan, I got a I got a question on the Elo. Then is there a way or a thought of how to translate these numbers into maybe a point total at the end of the year? Like, you know, I mean, or is this just strictly almost like a power index? I would see it more as a power index. That was one of the weaknesses I listed with the Elo. Rating since that it's very good for looking at uh, matches retroactively to see where teams have been relative to other teams. For instance, I'm I have listed where each of the previous champions of USL have finished up the season. I have the 2016 New York Red Bulls two who ran away with the league at a 12.21 rating as the greatest team to ever play in USL. Whereas compare that to SC Cincinnati who has an 11.81 rating, which would currently put them as the seventh best team to ever play in USL if the season ended right now. Oh, so I feel like it's just more of a power index to kind of weight where teams have been historically and then kind of compare them into the modern era. So a team that gets hot at the end of the year, uh, as we speak about New York Red Bulls in, in like a Pony and I's method, they may miss the playoffs or be on the cusp, but if they like start running up the scores at the end of the year, in your model, they could jump up to a solid six or a five speed seed. But in our model, even with all those victories, since we don't take the goal differential into necessarily account, they might not even make the playoffs. Is that true? It, there does always seem to be at least one team every season who either goes on a horrible run and EO rating wise with goal differential and one team that always goes on a very fantastic run and that that horrible run team will always be would be outside the top eight or whatever the playoff teams were set for that season and whereas they would then finish in the actual table in that kind of playoff spot whereas the team who missed the playoffs who were relatively solid up to that point would then be miss or be inside that top eight of the um Evo ratings, but miss out on the table. One example of that was the 2016 Wilmington Hammerheads compared to Orlando City B. Wilmington was better at the end of the season, but due to um, Orlando City B, he's a uh, goal differential, basically more heavy losses in the year. They finished with a lower rating than the Hammerheads, but it allowed for them to at least make the points total at the end of the season. I also have to take into account that the USL keeps increasing their season length and by a few by matches every so or every couple of years. For instance, in 2011, they had 24 match seasons. Now we're up to 34 matches. So it definitely gives teams a much larger chance to increase their ratings. Whereas if we had been playing in 2011, we would have already had to cut off the regular season. Interesting. Yeah, to me, is one of those things that it really awards certain things such as being able to win big and being able to win on the road both those things really factor in heavily to the point where i think a team if you let's say you were average at home but on the road you happen to turn around and you're unbelievable they're going to be probably overrated on the whole because road points gives you points and same for teams that blow out other teams consistently and then when they lose lose by a goal it's one of those things where it is kind of a power ranking that awards strong aspects of play, but doesn't maybe punish other aspects quite as much, the, the counter side of it, the flip side. But overall, it's a good way of saying who's good and who isn't. There's very few times, I think, with ELO that you'll end up with someone way higher than we ever thought they'd be or way lower than we ever thought they'd be either. It's pretty comparable to say how 
dangerous a team is. Sometimes if they have, if they were, if they're doing much better or worse than their record says they probably would be doing. Of course, and interestingly enough, if we're current, if we're looking at my current ELO ratings, without giving away a, the how close together some of these teams are, the current top eight of the Eastern Conference is the current top eight in the table at the moment. So yeah, I think those are all of our arguments and reasonings besides behind all these numbers see us occasionally post and talking about and you go oh i either like that because it says my team's good and you interact or you ignore and say we we hate your team but i think at this point it's time to start talking about what all of our numbers say is true for what we actually think the playoffs are going to be i know for all of it we're going to talk about our eight playoff teams and the seeds and also the two the next two out, the teams that if something changes, it's probably going to be one of those two teams sneaking and knocking off somebody else. So if we're going to go back to the top of the table, so to speak, for how we talked about, Ken, you could start first and your choice if you want to do East or West. Uh, I actually want to do West, believe it or not, just because I find it a little more intriguing at this point in time. Um, for my West projections, uh, I have Phoenix Rising at the moment coming in first with 68 points. Uh, that's on my my first methodology. And on my second one, I have uh, the Real Monarchs actually coming in first with 66.8 points. So um, there is a little bit of a difference there. So I, I find that uh, that's the part that both these models uh, show how they're a little bit different. Um, so I have Phoenix followed by Real Monarchs with 67. So it's 68, 67, real close, one point. And then Orange County, who uh, I can tell you uh, three weeks ago was was sitting at the top of this table for me. Um, and they've now started to play uh, some hard teams and have come upon some hard results lately and I have them at, in third with 63 points followed by Sacramento uh, with 60. So that's my top four, Phoenix, Real Monarchs, Orange County, and then Sacramento. I don't know if you want to do yours or. Yeah, let's actually go through that and we'll do each of our top fours. So I'm um, number, number two here. So remember this is actually still all prior to the Monday night game. I know that because I think it's going to change some of the results on my end because going into Monday night, my number one team in the West was the Real Monarchs at 70 points. And number two was Phoenix at 68. I think that might have changed now, but we made our cutoff point and that's what we're going to stick to. I also agree my number three team is Orange County at 63 points from my calculations. And again, we agree, I have Sacramento as my number four team at 61 points. And we're real close. I mean, I was, I was what, 68, 68, 67, 63, 60, and you're 670, 68, 63, 61, so. I'm just rounding, so these could be rounded to the nearest number. So some of these are much closer than others to where they are. Right. Into the uh, top four for the Western Conference and ELO ratings, uh, and we're very similar with our top three, and even, especially here, they've definitely broken away from the pack. Currently, as of uh, basically prior to that Monday night fixture, is Phoenix Rising at an 11.56 rating, followed by the Real Monarchs at 11.49, and then Orange County at an 11.48 rating. Obviously, those will Orange County and Real Monarchs will likely switch due to uh, the Monarchs' loss on Monday night to San Antonio. And then you round out the top four with Reno 1868 FC at an 11.29 rating, kind of out on an island at the moment, which I definitely think has been good by that they went on that very long unbeaten run in the season where they had a lot of very good results and winning a lot of matches big and may not exactly represent where they truly belong in the table. But it's, again, with the ELA ratings of a retrospective look, and that's where they're currently positioned. And it's funny, uh, you have Reno and 
and forth, and I have them in my. This is this is the the model in which they get a win, a draw, or a loss. They don't. There's no fractions given. Uh, they fall all the way to seventh on my other model with 53 points. So that's a that's a that's a probably a difference in the models because in in my other model with the the Poison distribution, they jump the fifth again with 54 points, but it's just kind of that, that, that fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth spot. I have very, very, I mean, it's a difference of four points between those four spots, I think on my, my model. Your ratings has it very close as well as the difference of only four grading points between a uh, fifth and seventh place at the moment. All right, so we want to do our five through eight seeds. You want to kick it off again, Ken? Yeah, uh, for my fifth, I have the Portland Timbers at 54 points. At sixth, I have Swope Parks with 53 points. And I have them tied with Reno with 53 points. So I have them six and seven. And then I have St. Louis getting the last spot at 50 points. And the first two out are San Antonio and Fresno at 48 and 45. So uh, on my other uh, on the other model, I have San Antonio. They, it's the exact same except Reno is in fifth with 54 points. Portland comes in sixth. Swope Park comes in seventh, and then San Antonio gets in ahead of St. Louis. So that might be the. Uh, deciding point of which model works best is, is it St. Louis in or San Antonio in? Right. And again, looking at mine, we have a lot of the same, same situations. I know my number five is Reno right now with 57 behind them by a little bit is Portland at 56 dropping down to seventh. We have a spoke park at 54 due to their very easy end of the season run. And San Antonio is currently my number eight at 51. It's, of course, gone up after their victory against Real. And my next two out right now are St. Louis at 49 and Fresno trailing quite a bit behind at 42. What I think is interesting looking at both of those ratings is that it always seems to have that playoff cutoff point be right at 50 points. Tony, I recall you and I talking in previous seasons that when we played fewer matches at 40 used to be that cutoff point. So it's just interesting to kind of see where teams like need to shoot for, for getting that minimum playoff or, or playoff seed. Yeah. I've been saying for a bit, you need to have 50 points this year if you want to be a playoff team. And even then it might not be enough. So it might get left out with 50. Yeah. Last year. I mean, what was it? I think we had only 46 or 47 at, as a six seed, so it's crazy how the years changed. St. Louis needs to. Uh, I'm rooting for the boys in green out, out there. I feel bad for them. Uh, they need to. They need to tighten up uh, the ship there and uh, get some points to 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 sure up their spot. Yeah, there's a lot of room, and I mean, there's also a lot of room for someone else to shoot themselves in the foot particularly Swope Park, who's looked very shaky. If they could, if they start dropping games to some of these teams, I mean, they Swope Park has Fresno, St. Louis, and San Antonio as their next three games. That's going to be make it or break it for that team. Yeah. Who of your uh, top four do you think it was most likely not to finish in the top four? I mean, I, I have Orange County and Sacramento, but I, as I said, Orange County has played a pretty soft schedule uh, up until this recently, and I'm just wondering if they're going to drop to – can they get overtaken? I mean, it's a pretty big drop, actually, to, to, the, to the fifth, sixth spot or fifth spot of 54 points. But uh, they would be my choice of, I guess, of falling out. They're all safe for the most part there. I mean, yeah. Because I think who's going to catch them? is the big one to me. Maybe Reno or Portland if they get hot, but even then it's gonna be a task. I think it I think it's more of the fear if one of those teams almost runs the table than anything else happening. Because the next few teams even at this point, I'd be willing to say 
those top nine teams are the clear top nine. None of them are going to even fall out of the playoffs. We're not going to see Fresno catch fire. We're not going to see Oklahoma City catch fire. It's going to be those nine teams, and someone's going to get left out and feel pretty pretty annoyed that they're so much better than number 10 seed and yet aren't playing in the postseason. Yeah, I agree. To close out the ELO ratings for the Western Conference, I have the uh, Portland Timbers 2 and 11 12, followed by Fresno, or sorry, Portland Timbers 2 is 6, and then, but you have uh, Sacramento in 5th, Fresno FC is in 7th, and St. Louis FC is in 8th, Swole Park Rangers is even with St. Louis FC in 9th, and then you in 10th, you have San Antonio. What's interesting about in both conferences, the top 10 teams are all above an 1100 rating, and looking back in historical records if you throw out teams such as the 2016 orlando city b and a previous uh pittsburgh riverhounds team team as being kind of just the outliers of a really poor team team that really shouldn't have made the playoffs the average or the lowest rating a team has ever had and and made the playoffs has been about um in seattle sounders 2 of 2015 at a 1092 rating which shows how crucial it is that teams be above the average at the moment if they want to have that kind of minimum look at getting to the playoffs. And as we stated, and for all of these teams, I think what we're seeing right now is the clear top nine, top 10 of the Western Conference. I agree. I mean, I, I think Fresno is too far back in my predictions at least my model so i see that they're seventh on yours that that might be that, that's one of those where uh they've won big right and yeah they have gone through a big portion of the season with a very or with a lot of good results especially um i think they had a four nil result over phoenix rising in recent weeks yeah looking they have a four nil win or four nil over phoenix four two for portland two zero over sack and four one over swope so they've turned in some results against good teams. That really helps out that rating. Yeah. Okay. So those are our West. You want to jump out East now and kick it off again, Ken, at the top of the table? Um, let's see the East. Uh, uh, as a as a Cincy fan, I like seeing it. I mean, we're up there at the top uh, with 74 points, and we're running away with it. I mean, this isn't even – close in any of my models at this point in time uh but what's interesting is uh the next three spots uh louisville charleston and pittsburgh i have them all identical at 60 60 points so it's a 14 point variation uh so fcc uh, it's never locked up but i i think uh bill on our team said FCC could tie, get one point average on every game, and Louisville would have to get like 2.6 or 2.5 points per game average just to catch us. So uh, we've, we've pretty much, to say, wrapped up the first seed is, uh, wouldn't be a stretch, but uh, it's not wrapped up. I'll never say it's wrapped up until it is. But the next three spots, Louisville, Charleston, and Pittsburgh, it, it's game on. I mean, uh, that that's going to be an interesting battle. And Nashville, and uh, I got Nashville. I'm just going to go down on this one. I got Nashville, Bethlehem, Indy, and then my last spot is Penn FC at 49 points. But Nashville, Bethlehem, and Indy are uh, also in a little battle to see who's going to come in fifth, sixth, and seventh. And then Penn FC I have uh, coming in at, at eight with 49 points and my first two out are North Carolina and the New York Red Bulls, which I truly do believe the New York Red Bulls are going to probably make a jump here, but this is all based on form. So uh, I, I have a feeling they'll get hot this month and they might jump, uh, exceed those 45 points and jump in. Yeah. And like I said, never can be too sure of yourself. I know, Charlotte last year was kind of that team where they're looking to lock up the fourth seed. They need maybe one win in their last six games and they lose them all to drop yeah. down to fifth. That was a, they still look like they've recovered from that slump, but you never could be too sure. I mean, you do have, you do have to play Louisville one more time. And if Louisville wins, that closes that gap very quickly, or at least not, at least enough where it'll swing a bit, but. 
it's Cincinnati's yeah. to lose. FCC has Louisville, Pittsburgh, Nashville one more time, and Indy. So I mean, they don't have a, an easy easy stretch by you know by, by any imagination. Uh, uh, but just the fact of them having, they, if they get one point, if they just draw these teams, uh, I mean, it just makes it so much more difficult for these teams to even catch us. They they really do need us to. Uh, they need need they need to put put the hammer down on uh, FCC to to catch us and it's they're they're six point games to them and they're really just us hey let's just hold on uh, i think uh, uh we might see some different tactics being played by cincinnati after this uh, dirty river derby that comes up here on this saturday uh they'll go for it there and then if we get the the proper result uh, i think you might see alan Koch start playing uh trying some new things yeah you got to get three points this week because getting swept by louisville is not going to be a good luck going into the postseason. Don't even want to think about fine. it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll jump into mine then. For my East, I agree. Do we have Cincinnati at top? I actually have them at 76. I think that's inflated, but like I said, outliers breed these type of things when they're supposed to gain at worst 1.6 points per match. That's probably more than they should be doing, but the numbers are what the numbers are. My number two is actually Louisville takes it cleanly at 63 although i do have charleston and pittsburgh tied for third with charleston coming up by a fraction of a point ahead at 60 points apiece my fifth seed is nashville that's a pretty big jump down at 70 at 73 at 53 points my number six is indy at 52 and seven is a tie between new york and bethlehem both at 50 with new york still having the inside track for a seventh for my 9 and 10 are actually both 46 points, and that would be Ottawa and North Carolina. I know you had Penn. I think Penn drops to my number 11 right now. Yep. I think Penn, uh, Penn moves up because, uh, like I said, in my model, there's an overinflation of draws, and they have a pretty good defense, if I recall. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, their, their defense is pretty good, so they're more likely to uh, – get draws like Pittsburgh just gets draws like crazy because nobody can score on them. So even if they don't have a strong offense, they're not giving up a point. So uh, like I said, my, my model has an overinflated draw factor in it. All right. We're going to jump into Eli with Ryan for the East. With the East, as I stated earlier, the current top eights also of my uh, ELO ratings is also the current table at the moment which is uh, really interesting to kind of be uh, the relative strength of teams and currently to what they are on the table. But I have FC Cincinnati as the clear number one. They are 41 rating points above Louisville City. FC Cincinnati has an 1181 rating. And it's interesting that the Eastern Conference, the past two seasons, we've had the team in first just kind of run away with it. And you had a 2017's Louisville City. They basically ran away with the East in 2016. You have basically the all-time best New York Red Bulls there. It's also interesting that Louisville was also an all-time in top team. They just happened to run into a very good, um, you know, a very good New York Red Bulls team. And even in 2015, you had the Rochester Rhinos doing well, but I think we're finally getting to a point where you can start considering SC Cincinnati among some of the best teams to ever play in this year's SC Cincinnati team among some of the best to ever play in this league. They are definitely within that top 10. If you ended the season today and looked at the end regular season rating, they would be the fourth best team to ever play in the USL with only uh, 2016's Orlando or New York Red Bulls 2 ahead of them and 2012's Orlando City and 2017's Louisville City ahead of them. Obviously, that's not taking into account playoffs because that Orlando City team in 2012 lost or lost in their championship game. But to round out my top four, I have Louisville City at 1140. Yeah, I think, uh, Pony, you and I agree that they're kind of at least a clear above the next two teams of Pittsburgh and then Charleston is my three and four. I think we're all in agreement that those will be the top four teams. It will just be a matter of seeding between second through fourth. And then to round out my list i have a uh, bethlehem and fifth indy 11 and six new york red bull two and seventh nashville and eighth and then the next two out are the remaining teams that are currently above 1100 at north carolina sc 
in ninth, and then Penn FC in tenth. With uh, if I expand a little bit, and you can go to Tampa Bay in eleventh and Ottawa in twelfth. Ottawa definitely has def- has definitely fallen off the trail in recent weeks, having their rating drop below um, eleven hundred about three games ago. Yeah, so it's interesting as you look at all of ours, we have a lot of the same ideas of what's going on. We all think the East is Cincinnati, Louisville, Pittsburgh, and Charleston is the big, big ones. And the West, we all basically have Phoenix, Monarchs, Orange County, and then kind of Reno, Sacramento mixed in there as the next few teams out. And I think that's a good thing when three entirely different methods come to the same conclusion of who is good and who isn't good even under minor disagreements of seeding and who's going to sneak in the playoffs and who isn't, it's pretty similar. There's no one that is way up there in one method that is not relevant in any other method. It's just a matter of how we want to iron out the creases, and that's what gives us these slightly different predictions, I think. I definitely think that gives us a a more uh, wholesome picture of how the league will play out this year. Yeah, and I also think it shows there is a true, at least in the East, when you look at it, there's a true break point of, the, like you said, the top four teams uh, are clearly uh, better than the next the next four, and the, the next four are really, really jumbled at that point. I mean, I think all, all three of us had completely different order of and teams who are in that those next four, but the, the top four uh, – the stronger the teams are, the easier it is to, to 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 identify them. It's when we get down to the bottom that our models are going to sit. We're going to sit there and compare these and go, okay, who is closer on fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth? Not that you know it's a contest. Just it's interesting at that point. Right. I know. Looking at mine, the difference between number four and number five seed is the same as between the number five and number ten seed. It's that clear top four should be the top four. And I fully expect to see a second round to be Cincinnati and Louisville hosting Charleston and Pittsburgh in some order. If that doesn't happen, somebody really messed up or played the game with their lives, one or the other. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, in the East, you just pick chalk, just mm-hmm. chalk pick the East. I mean, at least for the first round. <laughs> yeah. Then in the West, you do the complete the other way. The four seed wins the West every year. <laughs> That'll be dangerous if Sewell Park can't continue their streak of defending Western Conference champions. From the fourth seed. That's been the that's as amazing as it's been that Swope has won back to back seasons in the West and playoffs. They've done it from the fourth seed both years, never playing on the road. That's just insanity. Well, at least for you, Pony, considering uh Ken's and your ratings, that's currently uh, Sacramento in that fourth seed, so that's a good sign. No, nah, they'll mess it up. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll mess it up. <laughs> they'll either get the third seed or drop to fifth seed. And the one seed's come out of the East the last three years, right? Rochester, Correct. New York, yeah. and then Louisville. In that same span, the one seed has never won a game in the West. It was, yeah, we had... He had a few losses to two of them on penalty kicks, but the one seed just is a cursed seed out west. And for, right now, Real Madrid are trying to give it to Phoenix as much as they could. Hosting the final has also been very crucial in recent years, especially in USL, as I believe going back all the way through 2011, the team that's hosted the final has never lost. Yeah, it's been close, but it's usually been a pretty big benefit. I think it's also the last few years at least has been there hasn't been like a one versus one seed or two one versus two seed hasn't it been one versus five one versus four one versus four i want to say is the last three finals i go back through uh yeah it's been in 2017 it was one versus four yeah same for 2016 then i think 2015 without checking was one number five. one against yeah five was five was la yeah and then you have to go or in 2014 you had harrisburg who had their or sorry penn who had their incredible run in, into the playoffs from the eighth seed knocking off orlando city at least going back to 2013 that was five feet two 
you know, I think it's been a, a long time since we've seen like two really close teams. I mean, in 2012, you had the battery at a three seed against the Hammerheads of a five seed. And then in 2011, when they had two divisions at that point, and you did have the um, American division winner, Orlando City, one seed against the Harris, the national division winner, Harrisburg, as that two seed. Yeah, so you have to go back a ways, but that home playoff game in the final is big. And right now it looks like it's, again, Cincinnati's to lose. Yeah, let's just hope, uh, for, from at least from my perspective, we keep this streak alive. Yeah, I'd, I mean, like I said, I think it depends on who you play. I'd be, I'd hope that things break correctly because if you have New York, Pittsburgh, Louisville back to back to back, that's going to be a rough run. I look at the top eight on the East, and uh, if New York sleeps, sneaks in, and I say sneaks in, I use that very loosely because they can easily do it. Uh, New York as an eight seed scares me from a from an FCC start standpoint, but. Just looking at the teams, Indy 11, not easy. Bethlehem still not easy. Nashville, I don't know what's up with them, you know, with their recent form, but they can play with anybody. And then you got your top four teams who it's just – I don't see any easy game in the East even when it comes to the playoffs except maybe one versus eight if that eight team is not New York Red Bulls. That's the right. only way I, I see that, that, that being a – uh, what I would call chalk line of take it because uh, the Red Bulls went in and beat the living snot out of Charleston last year, then beat beat Tampa, if I recall, and then lost in a PK to, to Louisville. And they're a scary team come postseason. Yeah, that's so like a good hot take, snarky comments a lot lined up for if Louisville lost that penalty kick and all these things, all these things that happened. Louisville actually had to win a penalty shootout. It was interesting with last year's final that you had uh, the uh, of the four teams who made their conference finals, three of them were in the conference finals of that previous season. But yeah, yeah that's that's three different ways of looking at the playoffs. I'm sure for most people who are gonna feel like they are a playoff team, you hopefully learned something today and you could listen to the one of us that is the nicest to your side who gave you the best seed and say, this is the correct way to look at playoffs. For those who are just interested in looking around, I know we update these at least semi-decently to say, here's the new projections, here's the new standings. And I'm sure it'll be fun to check this in another month when playoffs have started to see how right we were, not only with guessing what the seeds were, but also guessing points, because if we're able to refine stuff for future seasons, that's always a good thing and that's all projections are they're about looking at the past and getting better and better at projecting the future if we have to make tweaks and changes i'm sure we all want to because we all want to be correct on these as much as you could say it's not fun to almost be spoiled of what the ending results of the season are going to be i think it's fun for all of us to try to see who could predict it the best not just going well i like this team and xyz here's my top eight because whatever reason we have math behind us and if you've managed to stick around for an hour of math podcast you were either a math major or engineer or you really are bored at work when you're listening to this one of those three but we all thank you for listening to us and if you guys have anything final to add any hot takes i don't have any hot takes i just hope my math's better than yours pony We'll see. We'll, we'll see. My math, it depends how much I've been drinking, okay? Okay. One, one plus one is beer. So at that point, I'd like to thank Ken and Ryan for all coming on and talking to us. I'll let you all plug your Twitters real quick. Oh, I'm just uh, – uh, you can reach – you can see my podcast, uh, Cincinnati Soccer Talk at Cincy Soccer Talk. On tw at Twitter or Cincinnati Soccer Talk on Facebook. And uh, my Twitter handle is pretty easy. It's just at K and my last name's Hetker, H-O-E-T-K-E-R. That's it. If you like math, follow me. Ryan? And uh, my social media is at ILM underscore Ryan. I do my writing for Indomitable City Soccer and Soccer and Sweet Tea. And I guess if you like 
graphs. I do um, circle of parities for MLS and USL. And I'm working on one for the NWSL soon. So if you like any of that, that's uh, mainly found on my account. And I am at Iron Pony Chef. If you like math, USL, drunk rants, occasional pictures of my cat, you can follow me there and get all of those things and more. We'd like to again thank everyone who is listening for listening today. It's not every day we do a math heavy podcast, so thank you. And again, you could follow most of us and catch up on all your USL talk at the USS USL show. And we'll we might be able to do something once the playoffs start of maybe we could all get back together and see if we could predict playoff games or something like that. Who knows? The more the more playoff content, the better, because we're not talking about practice. We're talking about the playoffs. So for the USL show, for Ryan and for Ken, we thank you very much for sticking with us today. And if you have any comments, any suggestions, please let us know, and we'll try to incorporate them. All right. Y'all have a great day.